Have kids, they said. It will be fun, they said. Who the heck are they anyway? As moms, we sacrifice a lot for our families, our time, our health, our wallets, our identity, friendships, personal care, and of course, our beloved sleep. Motherhood is a crazy ride, one that is not meant to be braved alone. It takes a village, right? Well, your village is here. I'm your host, Sabrina Greer, and every week I'll be diving into the gray areas of motherhood with some very special guests. This is not the highlight reel, but the real deal. So reheat that cup of coffee, turn up the volume, and get ready for the reminder that you've got this, mama. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to You've Got This Mama, the podcast, and I'm really excited today because I have a very special guest, and we're going to be talking about something that I think every mother has experienced at some point in their motherhood or in their life, and that is anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, big word. <laughs> so I'd like to introduce Dr. Carly Crew. Hi, Carly. Hi. Thanks <laughs> for having me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Carly is a mother of twin three-year-old girls. Oh my gosh. Okay. We're going to have to talk about that a little <laughs> bit too. That's crazy. A Canadian small town family doctor from rural Alberta and an online anxiety coach for moms. After suffering considerably with her own postpartum mental illness, Carly became passionate about helping women overcome their own mental health struggles across the spectrum of motherhood. Carly is extremely passionate about mental health education and advocacy with a very special focus on maternal mental health. In her clinic work as a family doctor, she spends a large portion of her time helping to optimize mental health patients through counseling and medications, as well as running postpartum support groups in her local community. So amazing. She's won all kinds of awards and she's just a super amazing family physician. (laughs) And Carly provides the education and support for women to adopt healthy mindsets related to their anxiety, learn strategies to manage their thoughts and emotions in the moment and regain control of their lives so they can be present and do motherhood on their own terms. I love that. Because I feel like we all should do motherhood on our own terms. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, it feels like there's, it's not even rules, right? Because there is no rule book. There is no manual to motherhood. It's just, there feels like there's so much pressure Mm -hmm. to do things a certain way. And Mm -hmm from my personal experience anyway, I feel like that is a big trigger of anxiety, right? It's like you feel it. Oh, oh, you have to breastfeed. Uh Oh, you have to can't co-sleep. Your kid has to do this and you have to do this. And there's just so much drama around doing things right. Mm -hmm. But then there is no right or wrong. Am I, am I right in saying that? Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's what I try to, I call it like, you know, living, just living an authentic life and exactly doing motherhood on your own terms is figuring out, you know, um, how much of your anxiety is somebody telling you how you're supposed to mother, right. Or telling you how you're supposed to parent and you trying to reach these, you know, complete, really ridiculous ideals that we see all the time. And, and how much of your stress is related to that, right? And how much, what, what do you really want to be like as a mother, right? Like, what does it look like for you and having and helping? That's what I try to help people do is figuring out what does that look like for you, for your own motherhood experience? And does it have to be, or pardon me, it doesn't have to be defined by anxiety all the time, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, that's a huge part of it, definitely. So what is your perspective of anxiety? Like, why do you think people suffer with this because it is it's such a I always call it an invisible 
it's like it's an invisible disability mm-hmm. or an invisible problem because you don't wear anxiety on your face. Nobody goes, Oh, sorry, honey, you're anxious today. Mm-hmm. Like you had a black yeah. eye or a bloody totally. nose or something. Right. So it's invisible. And I think so many of us, and I say us because I too have suffered with anxiety, you know, it, it comes and goes and waves for me, but I like, why, why, why yeah. do we have this pressure? So the, the one thing that I always talk about when I speak to people about anxiety is that one, I've never heard somebody that I talk to about anxiety who says, Oh, I've never had that. Right. Like it's so universal. And my perspective is that anxiety is a part of being human. Right. So anxiety is essentially our evolutionary fight or flight response. That's all it is. And we have, you know, evolved now that we live in worlds that are, you know, hopefully, you know, in the, in, you know, the first world, not, brought with threats to our safety, like at every turn. But if you like look back in human evolution, when we were, or human history, when you're living in a cave, like very primitive, like you really needed your anxiety to be on all the time. You needed it to be vigilant to make sure that, you know, you're not going to, you know, come up upon a bear or whatever you're going to, you know, it was protecting you. It was genuinely keeping you alive. We needed it. So now we've evolved, but we're living in these really evolved environments with a really primitive operating system, kind of like we haven't updated from DOS, right? Like our anxiety is still back in the, you know, in the dark ages, but what it's looking at now as threats are things that aren't actually threats to our safety anymore, usually, right? Of course, you still want your anxiety to stop you from walking across the street or, you know, do things that are genuine threats to your safety. But instead now, our anxiety is like this super sensitive um, warning detection system. And it can go off at the smallest things, right? It can go off at things that you're like, that doesn't, that shouldn't make me anxious, but it does, right? And so like, you know, even like we talked about earlier, holding yourself to an ideal about like breastfeeding, like that's not really a threat to our safety, but now it's enough to get our anxiety going because our anxiety is like, well, if, you know, if I don't breastfeed, what does that mean as a mother? And what does that mean as a person? And does that impact my identity kind of thing? So, so we have this really primitive system, but it's operating now in this really evolved environment that we have. So it's universal. Every single human being has anxiety. I think all, you know, all mental health struggles are universal to a degree, right? Even low mood and depressive symptoms are universal um and we still need it which is annoying for a lot of moms like a lot of women that I talk to they're like I just don't want to have it anymore and I'm like well we have to change that frame of thinking and really start to look at places that yes your anxiety is a bit overzealous but you still do need it and it is still very helpful for you right like you want your anxiety to kick in when your kid is crossing the street and you're you see them in threat right you want your that's what you need your anxiety system to kick in for to to save your child so we can't wish it all away unfortunately Um, and, and that's a really hard thing for people to do because I'm sure if you've ever spoken to anybody or had anxiety yourself, you're like, I just want to not have to worry anymore. I just want to not have this anymore. It's such a burden. Um, and I try to shift that away from, you know, showing the benefits of that anxiety can help and does help us a lot. Very, very interesting. I read a really cool article. I think it was New York times and it was about snowplow parenting. And this concept of snowplow parenting is essentially we remove all obstacles and like plow the way for our children because we as mothers and as parents are so anxious, so overly anxious Mm -hmm. about everything. Like what if they trip and fall? What if they do this? What if they hurt themselves? What if this happens? And it's so much anxiety that it's actually causing anxiety disorders in our children. It's causing, you know, this trickle effect because Mm -hmm. we are plowing the way and not Mm -hmm. allowing them to have that autonomy that builds character and strength. And we're Mm -hmm. not allowing them to 
discover, explore, yeah. learn the hard mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. You know, like when we were kids, it's like if you fall down and scrape your knee, you wear knee pads or you don't exactly you learn face first again. Like you <laughs> right? learn from your mistakes. Yeah. When you're plowing the way for our children, you know, there there are some consequences, I think, to that as oh, well. Oh yeah. What are your that thoughts? term is amazing. I have not heard of that term before, but that is it's almost what I try to explain to my clients a lot because what ends up happening when I work with them is we'll get their anxiety under control and then they start to notice symptoms of anxiety in their kids. And I think in the last two weeks, honestly, I've had three or four women be like, can you help me help my son or help my daughter with his anxiety? I see how impactful it is on them. And, and I always try to conceptualize it as in our snowplow parenting, which I'm totally using because that's amazing. <laughs> um, in that way, what we're doing is we're, you know, we're actually mitigating our own discomfort, right? Because as mothers, I feel like there's few things more uncomfortable than watching our children struggle, right? Mm-hmm. It's more painful for me to watch my daughter get hurt and cry probably than it is for her, right? I'm like, oh God, I should have, you know, I should have saved you from that. I should have prevented that. And it's the discomfort of observing them go through discomfort that we're actually mitigating by snow plowing, right? Like we're, we're clearing the way. We're kind of, and even that's an anxiety, um, an anxiety cycle because so anxiety develops, you know, about something because so say you have this certain trigger that causes your anxiety, like your child having, you know, hurting themselves, that's a trigger for you. So what you do is you then create systems to reduce that trigger, thereby reducing your anxiety, thereby creating a feedback loop. Yeah. Right. So that every time that trigger comes up, you're going to behave in that way to mitigate your own anxiety because anxiety in itself is uncomfortable. And when really what we're doing is, like you said, we're, we're preventing our children from developing the skills they need to handle this in the future, right? Yeah. So if you have an anxious child, I often talk to women about, well, what would you want to hear in that moment? Because what we often do is like, oh, okay, here's the strategies. This is what you got to do. You got to do all these things when our kids are feeling really anxious, right? For example, we're, we tell them all these different things to do when, in all honesty, they probably can't process that in that moment any more than we can process all of those different things when in our anxious moment. So by behaving in that kind of snowplow parenting way, we're limiting our children's opportunity to learn how to mitigate their own discomfort, right? We need to kind of manage our discomfort and let them experience discomfort so that they can learn how to manage it. A lot of human behavior comes from not being able to manage discomfort or having no tolerance for discomfort, right? And that's essentially what our anxiety does. Our anxiety doesn't like discomfort. So any chance it has to reduce that discomfort, we will do it. So then we reduce our own discomfort so our children don't have to experience these struggles, but then they don't learn the skills to sit in their own discomfort, right? So yeah, that's a really, I I do think it's limiting the the development that they're going to have by doing that. We kind of have to let them fail and we have to let them fall. But that in itself, because we live in this perfectionistic motherhood culture that if your child hurts themselves, that it doesn't fall on the child, it falls on the mother's shoulders, right? It's like, how did you let that happen? And when, when realistically, that's what childhood is. They have to learn to fall. They have to learn to, you know, to figure those sorts of things out but it's often our own anxiety that keeps us from doing that and allowing that. Absolutely. No. And I, I think that's such an important point because you're right. It's the discomfort piece, right? As moms, we don't want our children to be uncomfortable and our anxiety doesn't want us to be uncomfortable. So by clearing all of the discomfort, we're not allowing for experimentation for growth 
for natural consequences, right? That's a really thing because if they're learning that there's no consequences to certain behaviors because we've plowed the way and cleared everything out of the way and that every situation is safe, what does that do for preparing them for their future, right? It, It doesn't. It's preparing them for a false world, right? It's preparing them for a false world. And I say that a lot with moms because anger is a big one with, um, with women as well. Well, with moms in general, there's a huge amount of anger and like, you know, irritability in motherhood. That's just the reality of motherhood, but that's often really amped up when you have an anxiety disorder. And then what follows from those angry moments is like guilt and shame, right? We feel upset that we were angry with our child, but I always try to draw the attention to a similar kind of concept in that if we don't get angry with our kids, how are they ever going to learn boundaries? If, right? How, what are they going to, how are they ever going to learn the limits to human interaction if their most loving person does not get angry with them at some point, right? It is not natural or healthy for a mother to be just eternally patient and be a doormat essentially to their kids' misbehavior because they're not learning how to regulate themselves, right? So well, that's good. <laughs> because, yeah, right? I, I'm Honestly. certainly not perfect when it comes to that. And, and you know, yeah. there's so, there's so much literature and so much um, information around positive parenting. And I, I totally agree with those theories and all of it, but, but yes, they need to learn all of the emotions, right? Because when they get angry or when they feel anxious or when they get scared or whatever it is, they need to understand what it all is. And if yes. we're just these like, okay, yes, sweetie, yeah. sure. Over here. They're not going to learn those skills. Right. Right. And I think we have to, like you said, model every emotion, right? So by, of course, no means am I advocating being, you know, like super angry and irritable and hitting your kid, nothing like that. But I am saying that there is a healthy limit at which you should be drawing the line. And when your anger flares, I think that's a natural parenting reaction, right? Our children have their natural growth react, like growth habits of learning and pushing boundaries and stretching things and testing and doing all these things. That's their natural inclination. And so it only makes sense to me that we would be also equipped to a point with a natural reaction back that teaches them that limit, right? So I always just use that as an example to help moms kind of soothe the guilt because yeah, you don't want to be angry and irritable all the time. And anger can definitely be a good sign that maybe you need to get your anxiety under better control. But at the same token, there's a healthy level of, of anger and you know, irritability that I think teaches our children the right, um, you know, that there are limits in life. So yeah. No, I love that. And I, I, that's what this podcast really is about, in my opinion, is, you know, sometimes we need permission. <laughs> sometimes we do. We just need permission yeah. from other moms. We need to hear other stories. We need to hear other journeys, other voices from people. I mean, you're a doctor, right? And you're telling us it's okay to be angry. Like that's mm-hmm. giving us permission to feel our feelings. Just like our children are entitled to feel their feelings, so are we. And exactly. I'm totally with you when like, no, we're not advocating for like child abuse or, you know, yeah. screaming and yelling and, you know, bad behavior, but anger doesn't have to necessarily, like anger is not that anger yeah. is just, I feel this way. You can still use your words. You're an adult, right? It's, yeah, exactly. it's not yelling and freaking out. It's just, this is, I'm angry right now. And this is why. And exactly. when you feel angry, this is how you manage it, right? So it's, it's totally. explaining to them what emotions Absolutely. are. Absolutely. Yeah. It's using it's that moment sense. when you're feeling angry as an opportunity to teach your child how to manage anger. Because who knows, like, 
I know my three-year-olds don't know how to manage their anger, right? So <laughs> sometimes when I get angry, I'm like, okay, like here's your parenting moment. Like learn, teach them how to manage this right now. And no, it's not always perfect. A lot of the times it's far from perfect, um, but at least you're trying to model something for them because if we don't show them ever anger, it's like when, if you grow up in a household where your parents never fought or discussed anything or had stern discussions, right? You don't learn how to navigate that part of being an adult. You don't learn how to navigate that you can get in a fight with somebody and still love them, right? And that's a phrase I use. I follow um, Danae Berhona from Simple Families. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her stuff, but she is incredible for intentional and um, you know mindful parenting. And she talks a lot about that in that we have to model what we want our kids to learn. And, mm-hmm. and we have to show them all the facets of being human. If we just hide it and just show them the easy stuff, again, we're snow plowing, right? We're doing, we're, we're limiting their ability to learn these things. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. So back to anxiety specifically, you know, what, what are some tools, like tangible tools, if you have any, mm-hmm. that you would give to our listeners, you know, if they're struggling with anxiety, like what, what are some ways to manage it? Yeah, that, sure. That work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that works. So the, the most important thing that I always talk about with women is to get the kind of right mindset, right? So mindset work, I'm sure you're, you know, is, is so important for anything that you're trying to tackle, right? Or you're trying to manage, you have to have the right mindset about it. And the mindset that's correct to have about anxiety is one that it's, you know, it's part of everybody and it's probably never going to fully go away, right? It also doesn't necessarily mean anything about you because you know what happens is you have this experience and then that must mean I'm broken or that must mean I'm a failure or that must mean my kids are going to be anxious too, right? We start to ascribe all this meaning to our experience. And, and, and so it's cultivating the right mindset that anxiety is a healthy part of being human. Just some of us are a little overzealous with it. Like some of our anxiety is a little oversensitive. I liken it to a fire alarm in a building, right? So every single building has a fire alarm and some, you know, appropriately wired fire alarms or people who don't have a lot of anxiety might see, you know, they ha- their alarm system goes off with smoke or fire, like actual threats, right? Whereas women who have hypersensitive anxiety or, you know, anxiety that bothers them on a regular basis, their fire alarm goes off at like the thought that maybe there could be potentially smoke, right? Like it's just like a little bit oversensitive. So just, you know, coming to terms with what your anxiety is and what it's trying to do for you and, and that sort of thing. In terms of tangible steps, the first is to try to identify when you're in an anxious moment, right? So most of us can, you know, identify with that feeling of you have one or two thoughts and all of a sudden you're like sucked into this vortex of anxiety before you know it. It's like the most irrational things that are happening in your mind and you're like, where is this going, right? So trying to catch yourself when you're in that moment. And, um, and usually I teach clients to watch their bodies for signs that they're in anxiety moments. So of course, palpitations or, you know, your hands get sweaty or a lot of people identify that pit in the stomach that they can feel physically, right? Because our bodies always give us clues when, they're, when you're mm-hmm. in anxiety because it has to. It's ready. It's your fight or flight response. So it's readying for a fight or flight, right? So use your body. Try to pay attention to what clues you get when you're in that anxious moment. And then you have to kind of call it out. Like you almost have to think of your anxiety as like a irritating, you know, I don't know. I always call it, refer to it as like an irritating parrot on my shoulder. That's just like nattering at me in my ear. And when it's really annoying and it's really making a lot of noise, I'll kind of call it out and be like, okay, I I hear you. I hear you anxiety. Like this is just my anxiety talking. Okay. All of these silly thoughts are just anxious thoughts. Right. And that's the name entertainment strategy. It's not new. I didn't come up with it, but it's essentially a cognitive behavioral therapy strategy that helps you identify what's happening and kind of bring it to the light, right? After that, 
a lot of women try to stop thinking things, right? Mm. And so if you've ever tried to do that, you know, it doesn't work. There's actually <laughs> like psychological theory to prove it. Ironic process theory tells you that if we try to suppress thoughts, they actually rebound more frequently, more intensely. And so the opposite of what you're, the other thing that you want to do instead in that case is to replace the thought with something more adaptive and healthy. And they're really simple strategies and they don't think, they don't sound like they would make a big difference, but they do, right? In that moment when you're just so, so anxious, if you can stop yourself and be like, okay, what's happening here, right? I'm just having anxious thoughts right now and I'm just going to change the script in my head and start to replace them. And if you have to repeat them over and over again in your head. And then another strategy that's really powerful when you're in that kind of, I call it the anxiety vortex and you can't really get out of it is to distract yourself, right? So in a healthy way, get some exercise. That's probably the best way, right? To shut our anxiety and shut our anxious brains off. Um, go do, you know, an activity that actually engages your mind quite a bit, right? Like you have to call a friend or something so that you can't actually think and do that activity at the same time. Yeah. Our brains are single taskers, like we think we can multitask, but really we can't. So in order to um, shut the brain off, so to speak, we just have to give the brain another job to do. So those are just some of the tactics and strategies that I teach for the in-the-moment anxiety management. Um, oh, I love that. That work really well. Yeah. yeah, no, those sound really... Something that worked for me too, and this is with anything, like any time pregnancy, for example, it was just sort of educating myself and understanding what my body is capable and also what my mind is capable of. Like these are just thoughts. Thoughts are a choice. 100%. You know, why am I choosing to think these thoughts? And then you're sort of engaging your own brain <laughs> in something different, right? I'm distracting myself in Absolutely. trying to, it's not a rabbit hole. It doesn't feel bad or scary to really just try to understand why and what and you know the real science of it instead of just like oh, I'm an emotional wreck and I'm having an anxiety totally. attack and totally right? yeah so just like really educating yourself on why you feel certain things and why you're thinking certain ways and knowing that it is just anxiety like you said separating exactly. yourself from it mm -hmm. like it is something else a parrot or you know some yeah. I always talk about like the mean girl, you know, the voice in your head. And I, yeah. I literally, you know, I've had tons of coaches I've worked with over the years and they always tell me the same thing, like name your mean girl, give her a yeah. name. So you can separate her from mm -hmm. yourself because mm -hmm. all of those, like, I'm not good enough. I did something wrong. That was a mistake. They're going to judge me. I'm so guilty. I hate myself. Like those are all mean girl thoughts. And yeah. it's, it's not real, right? So when you exactly. separate that from yourself, it's, I find that's really helpful as well. I worked with Absolutely. a coach once who said something that was so profound to me. It stuck with me. And it was that depression is a, a symptom of living in the past. So you're always sad about something that happened to you. And it's like this, this depression, right? It's the mm -hmm. sadness about something that had happened. And anxiety is fear Mm -hmm. of the future. So worry, mm -hmm. what could happen? Mm -hmm. This is going to happen. Ooh, like these, this mm -hmm. like stress and anxiety of what's going to happen, what could happen. And if you live in the present, if you find a way to center yourself and truly just be present in the moment you're in anxiety and depression fade away. And then yeah. you're just you. And I, sp I, I speak about that too. Totally. I love that. And, and yeah. I kind of, I conceptualize it um, similar to that with a lot of my clients in that um, 
often I draw when I do this little description, but so if you and I are talking right now, right, all of your senses are engaged in listening to me and looking at me and, you know, podcast listeners are listening and they're probably, you know, engaged in some sort of task. And it's really easy to not think in this moment, right? It's really easy to not get lost up in your thoughts because you're just engaged. All of your senses are engaged in this moment. And like, that's what you're describing, being present. But what often happens is we'll get, you know, doing something in mom life, folding laundry, washing dishes, you know, driving all over here and there. And, and all of a sudden our brains don't need to be engaged in that task anymore. And it gets lost. I call it getting lost in stories. And it's the same idea, right? Your mind jumps off into a story about, you know, like something that happened in the past and, and all, you know, how that went or the conversation you had with your mother-in-law. And then it might jump over here to, you know, the future and thinking about this and thinking about that. And essentially the same of what you're saying is that that's where like our emotions live, right? Is in those stories that we get stuck in. Right. And so the trick again, like you said, is to bring yourself back to the moment to identify when you're in the story mm-hmm. and to say that same thing. Am I in a story right now? Right. I'm not present in what I'm doing right now. I'm not fully engaged in what I'm doing right now. And one of the strategies that I recommend, again, not my strategy, but I really use it a lot is the five senses strategy or five senses exercise. Are you familiar with that one where you're just no. like, yeah, it's really simple. You can look it up. There's like tons of infographics on the internet, but it's essentially, you know, you do, what are five things I can see right now? What are five things I can hear right now? What are five things I can feel, right? Like I can feel my bum in the chair. I can feel my feet on the floor. If you're washing dishes, I can feel the warmth of the water, right? And that's reorienting yourself in the present moment. Because sometimes I hear, I've heard mom say, everybody says to me, be present and be more present, but I don't really know what that means. And so that's why I use that kind of concept to say, it's just having all of your senses and your mind fully engaged in what you're doing right now. Right. And this moment, there is no anxiety. There is no depression. There is no guilt, right? Theoretically, it's all in those stories, like you said, in the future, the past that we're living in. Yeah. And it's, people who do a lot of mindset work and, you know, some people might think it's woo woo or (laughs) weird or, you know, not reality or too, you know, fluffy or whatever their explanation is for it. But it's so true that, you know, what you think about, you bring about in a sense, right? So if you're Mm -hmm. constantly focusing on, I can't pay my bills, I don't have enough to do this, you know, uh, anxiety, anxiety, like this could happen, this will happen, you know, then it's more likely that those things will happen and that you won't have what you need to do X, Y, Z, right? And mm-hmm. I think there's so much power in changing our thoughts. We, we do have the choice in our thoughts. We do. We have a choice. Absolutely. Say, this thought is no longer serving me, so I'm going to, repl- like you said, replace it with a better serving thought. But it takes practice, right? It's oh, not yeah. it's not that easy. Just like okay, new thought, click. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. And it takes months, right? Like, yeah. and and that's what I find. A lot of my clients come back and be like, "Why well, was anxious again this week?" I'm like, "Well, yeah. Like, <laughs> you're trying to un, you know, de- unprogram tons of years of, you know, like, of just like tons of programming that you've had for your whole life. So yeah, it's gonna happen again. You're gonna have this over and over again. But it's kind of what you were referring to before. Of I always say you have two options, right? When you're faced with any situation, whether it's an anxious thought or a depressive thought or any situation, you can choose to, like you said, panic and I'm having an anxiety attack. And I call that fully indulge the thoughts and like be brought on the roller coaster. You can choose to do that if you want to, (laughs) right? Or you can stop and say, okay, this is what's happening. And like you said, be a bit more mindfully 
aware yeah. and observe objectively. That's what's the hard thing is to observe objectively because our minds are meaning making machines. And so of course all the emotion comes in and tells us all these lies about why we're having this thought and it must mean this and it must mean that when it doesn't. So the trick is of course being mindfully aware and then, and then actively managing it just having yeah. some agency, right? Like you said, you can choose to think it or not. And that's where the decision tree is. Is like, am I going to go down this path of just drama, drama, drama? Do I want to do that? Or do I want to just say that's enough now? And I'm not going to go down that path anymore. And that's hard. Like for people like, you know, who maybe are listening to this podcast and you and I are, are familiar with mindset work. Sometimes they're not even aware that they have that choice. And that's what's yeah. super important. I think is to just bring that to light for people is that you do have a choice of how you handle anything. Absolutely. And I think I love that it's becoming less taboo and more, what's the word I'm looking for? Not cool per se, but it's definitely more accepted mm-hmm. to have a coach. You mm-hmm. know, I love that you're an anxiety coach. Like that's yeah. so cool. I wish that existed when I was suffering with my anxiety, right? Because the first thing that I went to was the doctor and a yeah. big old, you know, thing of medication. Yeah. to manage it. And really it just numbs you, right? Like it numbs all of that. You can't work on your mindset when you're numb. Exactly. Yeah. It's okay to talk to somebody. It's Mm -hmm. okay to talk to a professional. It's okay to work with like, even coaches need coaches, right? I work with business coaches. I have a life coach. I have, you know, I work with people because that's what allows me to then it fills my cup so I can then, you know, pour from it into other people and coach other people. Just because I have somebody that I talk to does not mean that I can't be valid enough to talk to somebody else. Right. Absolutely. It's this cycle that we've all been on and it, it goes back to the beginning of our conversation where like we feel judged all the time and we feel worried that like, Oh, if I'm talking to somebody, if I have a professional anxiety coach, then somebody's Mm -hmm. I'm broken or mm-hmm. maybe I'll think I'm broken. Right. So it's okay to talk to somebody like yeah. we are better equipped with tools from our experiences and our learnings and the people we've worked with, you know, in our fields, like it's okay to talk to a coach. It's okay Absolutely. to talk to a therapist. It's okay to talk to a specialist. It's okay. Mm-hmm. So again, we're giving you permission. <laughs> if you're Absolutely. struggling with anything in your life, if it's anxiety, if it's depression, if it's stress, if it's just, you know, loneliness, like we, as moms, we experience so many different emotions. And I'm telling you right now, every single one of them is okay. Exactly. Every single one of them is normal. Yeah. You are normal. You are doing an amazing job. <laughs> it's not an easy one, right? No. Yeah, and- that's for sure. Yeah. And it's, it's just, it's okay. It's okay Mm -hmm. to talk to somebody. So Mm -hmm. stepping back to your point about medications, I agree with you. Um, And with my, I think that's where actually my professional capacity helps a lot in as my coaching in my coaching capacity, because I'm able to assess um, when I have, you know, prospective clients come to me to work with me, you have to be, and I'm sure you'll know what I mean by this. You have to be to a point coachable to benefit from coaching. Right. So sometimes anxiety disorders are so severe that you are not coachable, right? And you do need some more support, specialized support from, you know, a psychotherapist, or you need specialized support from medications to bring down, you know, the levels of stimulation and the levels, you know, when, when I have clients come to me and be like, I cannot shut my mind off. I'm like, well, there's going to be no room for mindset work in there right now. 
Yeah. Right. You sometimes we just need to turn the volume down a bit. And that's kind of where I see medications. They can be for some people really helpful tools to turn down the volume of the noise a bit so that they can do the work. That was my own experience. Right. I was so sick with, you know, postpartum mental illness. I, I've switched to just calling it postpartum distress because I think we try to box people up by calling it depression or anxiety. And it's just it's just distressing straight up, whatever your mental illness is. Right. Um, and I struggled for a really long time with this idea that, you know, I was going to get this under control on my own. I, I was a doctor for crying out loud, right? Like I was like, I'm going to get this shit under control. Pardon my French. And, you know, and, um, and it was a really good friend who said to me, but like, Carly, like, what if it could be better for you? What if, you know, what if you could, and I was really ill at that time. And it took, you know, going on medications for a period of time to look back and realize how sick I was, but that it was such a critical step as well, because then I could just quiet the brain a little bit and reduce, you know, the physical symptoms of exhaustion and palpitations and panic attacks and all that stuff. I could get that all under control, work on the mindset work and then get off the meds and sail. Right. Like that's what ended up. So, so don't ever discount it. I do not advocate for like walking into your doctor and having a 10 minute chat and going on meds. Like that's yeah. the last thing I advocate for. I always make sure that you're, you know, have a connection with your provider, make sure that they're really listening to you and that they, you know, if, if possible, have somebody who's well-versed in understanding of maternal mental illness, right? Because a lot of women get dismissed and that just breaks my heart, right? So make sure you have somebody that you can really connect with and you think is listening. And then if you, you know, if, if medications are introduced as an option, they're not the devil, they can be super no. helpful, but maybe try, you know, like if possible, two to three weeks of, you know, increasing your self-care, seeing a therapist, hiring, you know, meeting a coach, any of those things to get some of the mindset stuff under control and then go from there, right? Exactly. So I think nothing's off the table, um, but just make sure that you're not being, you know, kind of cast aside and put on an ed to just sedate the heck out of you. Cause that's not going to be helpful. Right. Which was my experience. Right. That was absolutely exactly. Experience. Yeah. And it's, like, it's oh. too common, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. That, and, and I mean this like with so much love, I have a colleague who I've spoken about this before, but when, before I even had my kids, I had some young moms coming in and, and, you know, really concerned about anxiety and stuff. And I didn't have the experience to know what that was about. And I turned to one of my colleagues and said, you know, how do you handle, you know, young moms who are coming with a lot of anxiety or young moms who are coming in with like OCD traits and stuff. And he said, and he's a really wonderful person. So I, I don't mean this any harm. He said, well, don't they all have that? <laughs> Right. And it was just the, un it was just this understanding that we have in society that like anxiety and motherhood go hand in hand, that they just yeah. should, that's just normal. And so if you're just, you know, if you're having anxiety and you're struggling, well, you're just not hacking it because every mother has anxiety. Like that is so false. And yeah. I, and I think it's just, you know, society's messaging more than anything. Um, because now, you know, that's not that conversation, but my own experience and that perspective is why I'm such a strong advocate for it now that, you know, worrying all the time, being tense all the time, snapping at your kids all the time doesn't have to define your motherhood experience, yeah. right? And that's why I say, do it on your own terms, like figure out what you want to do and get that stuff under control so that you can really be the mom that you wanted to be when you decided to become one, right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. No, I, I love, I think that's so important that there's no blanket for everyone you know, there's no blanket statement, like not all moms are one certain way, not mm -hmm. all children are one certain way, like not any human is one certain way, right? So we're all individuals, which means we need to approach things in an individual way. You know, we we hear Absolutely. all the time, like, you do you, right? And that's, yeah. that's it. Like, you just, in motherhood, in life, like, you just have to do you. And I mm -hmm. think 
total 360 back to the beginning of the conversation where we talked about anxiety coming from like the societal pressures we have around us, you know, know, know that Pinterest is Pinterest, Instagram is Instagram, all these pressures to be like, nobody looks a certain way. Not every single person looks a certain way after having a baby and nobody feels a certain way after having a baby. It's, you know, everyone's an individual. So I think we just need to remember that and, you know, react accordingly because mm-hmm. it is going to be different for every person. And if you're struggling with anxiety, then it, yeah, talk to somebody, you yeah. know, use some of the the tools that were shared here today, because I think all of them are really helpful. And, you know, if you can't get it under control yourself, then talk to somebody who you trust and find mm-hmm. somebody who can help you customize a plan to, to, help them, to make it work. Yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. if our listeners want to find you, Coach Carly, where mm-hmm. where can they access all your good stuff? Sure. So yeah, all my handles and websites are all really simple. It's just my name. So uh, carlycrew.com. And I have um, private group coaching, private and group coaching. And then I actually have a course that I just did the first launch of just the last couple of weeks. Um, that is kind of just tactics, strategies, um, anxiety management course for moms specifically. And then, yeah, like I said, private and group. And I have my Instagram, which is kind of my primary platform. And that's Carly Crew as well. And then Facebook, same thing, Carly Crew. Um, I do have a, you know, free Facebook community to uh, where I share some different talks and stuff. I get on, I get on a lot of soapboxes about doing things out of obligation and being more assertive and, and all that sort of stuff. And that, the importance of that in, in, in kind of getting your anxiety under control and, and being your own kind of leading lady in a way. And so I talk about that a lot in the group. Um, and that's Anxiety Proof Mama. That's what that group is called. Amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'll put all of the links and all of the tactics that were talked about to here today in the show notes. So our listeners can access all of that information and track you down. Uh, I have a feeling you're going to be a very popular lady over the next oh, while. Because, um, yeah, you know, it's okay. We all struggle and it's okay to yeah. get, get some help and to talk to somebody and Carly's your girl. If you are struggling with anxiety, reach, reach out. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so grateful. And it was such a wonderful conversation and awesome to have you join us. And yeah. Thank you for having me. And yeah, I'm on Instagram too. You can just send me a message, right? Don't ever be afraid of reaching out. Um, If there's anything that you just want to chat with me about or touch base, like I am so open to that. So don't be, don't struggle alone. That's my main thing. Just don't struggle alone. It's too hard to struggle alone. Yeah. Such an important message. Well, thank you again for being here and joining us on the show. And to all the listeners out there, you know, the drill head on over, leave us a rating and a review, check out this episode and we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Sabrina Greer, your host, and you've been listening to you've got this mama, the podcast. You can follow us at YGT Mama and join the conversation on Facebook and Instagram to get more information on the stories we share here, our community, our books, or the blog. Head on over to www.ygtmama.com. You can also access the show notes there. If you haven't already, please head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your daily listen and subscribe to the tribe. Rate and review this podcast. That helps keep us alive and we deeply value every review. 
I would like to thank the production team and Megan Krumpetich, our producer, for making this happen. Thank you so much to all of you for giving us your ear. We hope you tune in next week. But in the meantime, please remember, you've got this, Mama.